right, ladies and gentlemen, we are live right here, right now, across the streams. We are on YouTube, Twitch, and Twitter. It's myself, Josh Egan, and we're joined by the man right here, Arthur Staple, covers the New York Islanders and the New York Rangers. Lots of questions to fly his way, but before we do, how's it going tonight, Arthur? <laughs> it's good, guys. How are you? Uh, doing great, actually. You know what? We're not buried in snow like Toronto is, like my co Oh, we're here. snowed in over here. <laughs> That's probably a good thing, man. We're not doing too well. So before we jumped on, I, I mentioned you got the Quebec Nordiques hat on. Obviously, you want to appeal to the Canadian audience. <laughs> Uh, to anybody who doesn't know who you are, uh, just let them know right quick before we jump into this. Well, I've been at The Athletic for uh, about almost four years now, doing the Islanders uh, within the last couple months. Mostly switched over to doing Rangers. My title's New York Hockey Columnist, but uh, for the time being, I'm mostly Rangers. Obviously, I covered the Islanders for the last uh, 12 years, including my time at uh, at Newsday. We're a daily newspaper in our area down here, so... Pretty familiar with both teams, and uh, it's kind of been a fun transition to get to cover another another team. I covered the Rangers a long, long time ago, kind of in the pre-full-year lockout, Eric Lindros, Theo Fleury era. So it's a very different environment around the team these days, two decades later. Well, they're on the upswing now, too. So, I mean, there's lots to uh, look forward to if you're covering the New York Rangers. I want to ask you a question, obviously, covering the New York Islanders. Let's get into this. Let's have a little fun right off the top. The John Tavares situation. When he left, did anybody really have a feeling he was going to leave? Was it disingenuous on his part? Because if you ask any Islanders fans to a T, they will tell you that he said he was not leaving. He was staying. I mean, you watch the Dear John videos go out and all those different things, and then the snakes thrown on the ice when he came back. For you on your side of it, did you see it that way, or did you see him just ultimately make a decision and it came right down to the wire between the Leafs and the Islanders? You know, it, it, it's easy now uh, with all the years gone by. I think the kind of the myth of uh, of him rejecting them out of hand, saying he didn't want to be traded, uh, you know, which I think was true at the time. I think he's a kind of guy that what's right in front of him is the most important thing. And obviously, you know, you have to think about your future when you're a guy who's coming into a contract situation like he was. Um, and the way that the team was, you know, was kind of spiraling out of control that year. They they had had a bad season the year before, and they rallied when they changed coaches from Jack Capuano to Doug Waite. They nearly made the playoffs. They nearly leapfrogged the Leafs, I think, in 2017 to make it, missed by a point. Uh, and then they go into the next season, and and Doug Waite, who's very close with Tavares, he, Tavares lived with him when when they were both playing in Tavares's first couple of years. So this is a guy that. Uh, but I think Tavares wanted to have his coach, um, the new owners who had just taken over, I think were considering making some changes. They stayed with it because they thought it would appeal to Tavares and, and have him want to stay. And just that season kind of just slowly, slowly dra- you know, drained away. And, and then it kind of went from slow to quick and they were really out of it by the end. Um, you know, it, you can't just say on, on Sunday, I feel great. And on Monday, I'm going to still feel great if the team is doing terribly, if things have changed, you have to adapt. And I think that part is understandable for him. <clears throat> but I think, you know, as they went into that off season, uh, you know, during the season, I would have, I would have said I was pretty confident that he was going to stay. Um, you know, loyalty was seemed to be a, a big thing that was important to him. And I think he had a situation on the Island where the new owners really wanted to cater to him. They were keeping him and his agent apprised of every situation, whether it was the new arena that had just been announced that season that they're playing in now this year, that he's going to get to see, you know, that he's just saw for the first time not long ago. Um, so, you know, there, there were a lot of things that, that were, they were trying to appeal to him. Uh, and I think ultimately when he got into a situation of sitting in his, <clears throat> in his agent's office out in LA, hearing the offers from the teams, talking it over with his agent, talking it over with his wife, with his family, there was a lot of strong pull to, to come back and, 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 you know, be kind of the conquering hero for a Leafs team that just hasn't had much success uh, pretty much over his entire lifetime. So, you know, it was an emotional time and he's not a very emotional guy. Um, so I think that really weighed on him too. And and you can, you know, I think if you ask individual Islander fans, you get the vitriol out of the way. They understand as a person what the decision that he made, but obviously as a, as a fan of a team in the Islanders that has been, you know, kind of a laughing stock for a lot of years. You know, they obviously had huge success in the 80s and uh, some ownership follies, you know, a, a fraud, a kind of con man trying to buy them back in the 90s. 
changing uniforms to those ridiculous uh, fish stick uniforms, <laughs> terrible attendance throughout the years. And here are the Leafs, even without any success, the Leafs are the Leafs. You know, they're, they're kind of the, the kings of the NHL. Um, you know, they have a lot of attention. They get a lot of attention online. They have a lot of attention in the, you know, in the, in the North American media. Um, so it, it, it's just a feeling, uh, I think, that Islander fans have had a lot, uh, the ones that have stuck with the team over the last couple of decades of, we're going to, we're second fiddle. And here's a guy who came to us and he was going to be our savior. And he did lift them up from, from a team that was pretty terrible when he came with them in 2009. And they went to the playoffs a few times. He helped them win around for the first time in 23 years. They thought they were finally on the upswing and things took a, a couple of you know bumps in the road. Um, the detour to Brooklyn didn't help with an arena that nobody liked. Uh, and they thought, okay, well, here's our guy that can stick with us. And then, you know, he, he ultimately made that decision. That was the right one for him, but it wasn't the right one for Islander fans. So here's where we are with a passionate fan base. That's never going to get over it. And, uh, it's going to be, he's going to, John Tavares is going to be long retired before he finally gets welcomed with open arms at UBS arena. And I think we're all just going to have to live with it. Yeah. So that would be my follow-up question. Like what percentage of Islanders fans actually hate his guts? Because (laughs) We, we, we always see like these loud, uh, these loud minorities. Is it a minority that hates a minority of the fans that hate John Tavares? Or is it just everybody there? We don't want him back. We don't need him. Because obviously when he went back the first time, there was toy snakes thrown on the ice. Yeah. Uh, the we don't need you chance. That video was put out that I think we still are kind of questioning <laughs> uh, the, uh, the, the intent the behind that one. But you know that, that was entertaining. And then uh, and also uh, another question add on to it. Did the 47 goals in his first year with the Leafs not really help that, uh, that departure for Islanders fans? You know, the thing that would have, that, that to me would have helped the most is is the attitude the team took, which, you know, they made all those changes that same offseason. Lou Lamarello comes in, Barry Trotz comes in, um, Tavares leaves. And I think a lot of the players were feeling a little bit stung, even though they were excited by the prospect of having a, a championship general manager and a championship coach. And I think Barry Trotz kind of took that that sentiment and ran with it, um, you know, really embraced the idea that that, OK, you know, your captain and your best player turned you guys down you're stung, but you use it and show everybody that, that he was wrong. And I think the success that they had in that first season and certainly the success that they had in the last couple seasons, getting to within a couple games of the finals um, should take the sting away. And it certainly did for the players. I don't think, you know, there's lots of guys that are very tight with, with Tavares still, they play with him for a long time. So I don't think there's any, there's any unhappiness there. Um, but, you know, I, I don't know that I, that the success part of what Tavares has done really matters much. I think it really, that first game was just, was just a, you know, kind of a catharsis for Islander fans. It was all those feelings that they had from the summer here, they could finally let them out on him. And I'm sure it affected him. You know, his wife was at that game. He probably felt a little shell shocked by the reaction because I think he was so wrapped up in the decision that he made that I don't think he under, he really understood what it meant to the fan base. And that's, you know, that's perfectly fine. It's not really his job, but you have to accept that there's going to be some hurt feelings. Um, they all came out that night. You know, I think even this season when they went back, there were some boos and it's going to be consistent like that, but it's not anything like it was, you know, if it was a playoff series, I think we could probably get it back up to a, to a really high level of, of hate, but that's, you know, that's just the nature of, playoffs and there's already some bad blood between those two organizations from Islander fans that remember the 2002 playoffs which was one of the most vicious series I think that's that certainly for a first round that's been had in the last 30 years in the NHL you know lots of guys that played in the in that series and lots of fans who were there remember it very vividly so uh, there's there's just a little bit of funny history between the two organizations and I think that kind of played a little bit of a role and um, you know, I, I think if you, if you ask Islander fans that have, can take more of a, a big picture view, um, they appreciate what he did here for a decade and, and he did bring them out of a certain darkness and into the light. And I think a lot of the guys that kind of, that played with him and, and understood what he was about and, and appreciated his work ethic and his, his singular focus and learned a lot from it have benefited from him being here because those guys are pretty much still here and, and have been the ones leading the charge, this team being a lot better and since he left so uh it i think you can understand some of the hate some of the hard feelings but also i think there's there's got to be some appreciation in there somewhere because the fans loved him so much for so long uh like i said it won't happen while he's playing but hopefully at some point when he's retired he can come back 
and they'll cheer for him and it'll all be over with. I think that'll be a long ways off uh, for that to happen, obviously. Probably. But no, I, I liken it to, um, you know, Leafs fans with Daniel Alfredson. I know Alfie never played for the Leafs, but forever, no matter where he was and what he does, when he comes back with the Ottawa Senators in a management role, if you need Melnick leaves, it'll be the same thing. They'll always be booed when he goes into the uh, Scotiabank Arena. I think John Tavares will be on the same level with uh, with Isles fans for a long time. Let's work our way back here, too. So the Toronto Maple Leafs are taking on the Isles this weekend. We'll talk about the Rangers in a moment. Um, the Islanders you know, start the season on a long road trip, have a lot of things not really go their way, Arthur. And now it looks like they're trying to put the pieces back together, but they are so far behind right now. What do you see out of this team and you know Lou Lamorello, he's crafty, he makes moves, he does different things when he feels the team is in a position to do well. This team does not seem to be in that position this year behind the eight ball from the get-go. Um, do you see him making moves at the deadline to you know bolster picks and things like that? Or is he still in the belief mode that this team can climb their way out of it? You know, I, I don't know that they can climb the way out of it. And he's, you know, he's a realistic guy. Obviously, you don't last four decades without without understanding, you know, being able to take the pulse of your team. And, I, you know, I don't know that they're going to be in the market for renting anybody. Maybe if they go on, you know, rip off a 10-gamer or something and they can win, you know, pile up a bunch of points for all these games they have in hand, um, then maybe you start talking about that. But, you know, on the flip side, they don't – they're not really a team that's built to – to sell and, and kind of retool on the fly. You know, they, they don't have a lot of, uh, you know, assets that anybody really wants, you know, they're pending UFAs or guys like Zdeno Chara and Zach Parise who haven't really performed in their first years here or Andy green, who's maybe a guy that, that someone might want as a sixth or seventh defenseman on the way to what are the playoffs as the Islanders did with him when they got him a couple of years ago. Um, you know, maybe Semyon Varlamov has got a year left. But I think the Islanders being in such a win now mode, they're, you know, they're, they're using, they're up using LTIR. They're just right up against the cap. Um, you know, they've got some money coming off the books after this season, but not a ton. And they've got to, they've got to make some decisions. Noah Dobson needs a new contract, his second deal. and He's having a pretty good season. Uh, you know, the year after next Matthew Barzal is up and he's going to, you know, that's going to be an eight figure number for sure. Uh, if he's going to stay. So, uh, you know, they've got some considerations cap wise. And I think, you know, Lou is, is going to be 80 years old in October. He's not waiting around for anything, for any sort of rebuild or being patient or hoping that the kids, you know, do some good stuff and maybe they'll be kind of plucky and move along here. They want to win. They were close. You know, they were a, a one goal game in game seven away from getting to the finals and probably beating the Canadians to win a Stanley Cup. The year before, maybe they were when they were a bit of a surprise in the bubble. They were two games away in an, in an overtime loss against Tampa. They feel like they have measured up against the best team in the league the last two years and gone toe to toe with them and given them the best fight of any team that gave them in the playoffs these last couple of years on Tampa's way to the back to back cups. So I don't think they they feel like they're gonna you know be in a situation even if they're out of it at the deadline to to start selling off parts and and really you know reconsidering. Uh, what path that they're on. Um, this is, they've made their decisions. They've got a lot of guys locked up for a lot of years who are, you know, on the wrong side of 30. They do have a few good young guys. Um, so I think if there's a trade out there that makes sense for them, you know, I've talked a lot on a couple podcasts and on, you know, in some of my last few Islanders articles about Jacob Chikrin, who's going to be a, a hot commodity, it seems. And, uh, you know, I think the one place where the Islanders may have made a, a few missteps was, in their top four on the left side on D two summers ago, it was trading Devon Taves when they were in a bit of a cap crunch to Colorado. And now he's a guy who's going to get Norris trophy votes, even though he's not going to win because his D partner, Kale McCarr probably is, but Taves is a really dynamic defenseman. Uh, Nick Letty, they still had, and then they traded him this past off season thinking that they would be able to replace him with somebody a little bit cheaper and a little bit younger. And it just didn't happen. And they ended up signing Chara and they've got Andy green and it hasn't worked out. So Chikrin really is a guy who would fill that that yawning need that they have for another skilled guy in the top four. He's young, cost-controlled for a few more years. They don't have a ton of assets to give up, but that hasn't really stopped Lou. He seems, you know, no. last two trade deadlines, he's been happy to give up his first-round pick for guys that they feel fit in. Um, so I can't imagine why he'd be hesitant to do it again, especially for a guy that you can add to your top four that's already got Adam Pellick, who's going to be an all-star this year and is, a you know, one of the best shutdown guys in the league. Ryan Pollock, who's been out injured, but is a valuable guy for them. And, and like I said, Dobson, who's really come on this year in his third year to be 
uh, a pretty dynamic top four defenseman. So if you can have those top four, all guys under the age of 27, all for about 20 million bucks next year, uh, I can't see why the Islanders wouldn't want to do that. I'm sure they'll have some competition, but that's the kind of move I think you'd see Lou make rather than going out and renting a Ben Sherratt or, you know, a Travis yeah. Dermott, guys that are available who are going to be unrestricted free agents who don't really move the needle very much. So we'll see if they go on a huge run here in the next month or so, maybe that changes things. But uh, like you said, the the top eight in the East is pretty well set right now. That's kept kind of run away from the pack. So it would take a pretty, pretty miraculous run by the Islanders to get back in it this year. I think one of the guys that has more value for them than people are uh, estimating is Chara. Is that on the table or is he kind of staying there till the end of the year? It's his lot potentially last year of his career and he just wants to stay put, or could we see him maybe be moved to a contender because he wants one last cup? You know, I think we'll see in the next couple of months. That's probably not a decision that needs to be made yet. Um, you know, I, he's a guy who, you know, it, it, it was a, a neat story coming back full circle to the place where he started back in the, in the, in the fish sticks days when they were, this franchise was pretty bereft. And and 25 years later, he comes back as a champion, a sure first ballot hall of famer and his last, you know, shot at the, at a title, he wants to do it on long Island and obviously hasn't worked out, but um, you know, I'm sure that Lou, you know, he, he has a, a, like everybody does has the utmost respect for Zdeno Chara, even if it hasn't been a great season for him, I'm sure they'd give him the option if they wanted to, you know, they were going to move him. It probably doesn't get them any assets or anything. And I'm sure it's the same with Parise, but, um, but yeah, I'm sure that if they're out of it by the deadline and it looks pretty certain that they're out of it, I'm sure that they would, they would give those guys the, the option if they wanted to go to see if they could find another spot for him. Yeah. It just seems like the type of guy that a team, uh, a certain team in Edmonton would overpay for to, (laughs) Maybe maybe try and uh, br- bring it up a little bit, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Yeah, not, I, I see yeah. Zdeno Chara going back to Boston. If the the Islanders, hey, are maybe the, I think that's yeah. the only other team he'd go to is the the Boston Bruins. Uh, I know it didn't That'd end be favorably before he went to Washington, but I mean, I think you'd definitely go back there and go for one more push. Give me him yeah, back on that. the Sens. I want him back on the Sens for some reason. I know it's probably not possible, but that'd be fun. Yeah, you talk about the Islanders needing some runway. I think the, the Sens <laughs> need even more. So that isn't going to happen for them. Sen, to to Sens aren't Denver. fully out of it yet. Yeah. Well, nobody is at the moment, but mathematically, but realistically, you look at it. Um, so Saturday night, obviously, it's going to be a great game. The uh, the Islanders and the Maple Leafs, Sean Tavares coming back. The whole storyline. What do the Leafs need to do to be able to beat the New York Islanders? Obviously, when the fans get on a team, it becomes a completely different different atmosphere. The Leafs have been able to fare it before, but I mean, right now you look at some of the games the Leafs have been playing, they've been blowing leads, they haven't been consistent. So going into a barn like that where it's going to be hostile, it's going to be problematic, it could be an issue for the Leafs. What do they need to do to stay calm, cool, and collective against a team that's probably going to try to hit them through the wall? Yeah, you know, I think the one – saving grace for the Leafs is that when they've been able to get a lead, you know, if they can get a lead on the Islanders, the Islanders just haven't shown that kind of bounce back ability yet this season. And certainly since they had their 11 game winless streak, um, obviously they were missing a lot of guys due to COVID. And that was, you know, that was back in the 10 day quarantine period. It's really been a lot of, uh, a lot of bad fortune and bad timing for them. Um, you know, they just really haven't found their mojo offensively, uh, you know, in these last couple of weeks and they started to stabilize themselves. It's really been against, you know, Jersey. They've beaten a couple of times. Philly, they beat last night. They're playing them again tonight. Uh, you know, really the one difficult game, I guess you could say, was against Washington and they didn't generate a whole lot there. They were down one nothing, and, and they just didn't show that kind of spark that they have to get, you know, timely goals, get themselves back in and show that they can they can open up their offense a little bit when they need to, like they've done in the last couple of years when, you know, they're they're not an offensively gifted team, but they get goals when they really need to, and they certainly do that in the playoffs. So I think if the Leafs are able to get out one or two on them, um, that's a big much bigger challenge for them to come back than some of some other teams that have that have rallied on the Leafs that have maybe a little bit more offensive uh, dyna- more offensively dynamic team, say like Colorado. So, um, you know, I think the the Islanders' problems this season have been mostly uh, in their own end. You know, they're still a team that just that doesn't care if they win one nothing or or three two or five four if it comes to that. But when they fall behind, uh, kind of the pattern over the last couple of years is that they're definitely not the sort of sort of team that can break free from their structure to 
to kind of play a high risk, high reward game and, and get back into a, you know, a, a, a track meet. So the Leafs certainly have better high end skill. And I think that's, uh, that's probably a place where if they jump on them early, the Islanders really haven't had that bounce back ability this season. One player I want to ask you about for the New York Islanders um, that Lou was tied to, and a lot of teams were, and I guess before the shoulder documents came out or whatever you want to say was Vladimir Tarasenko, which would be a guy that would give them an offensive punch. Um, wondering for you, do you see that being revisited? You look at this season, you talk about them not being able to kind of run and gun and score some goals. That is a guy that, yes, his production's dipped a little bit, but I definitely think he could be a guy that could put some pucks in the net for the Islanders. Do you see Lou maybe going after him and bringing in a guy like Vladimir Tarasenko, where he was interested, obviously, in Panarin and then shifted his focus there? Yeah, I mean, I think there were some there were some talks back and forth uh, quite a bit, you know, last offseason about Tarasenko. I'm sure that there was some question, like you said, about the shoulder and and the bad blood between Tarasenko and the Blues and the medical staff and how how that all went down. So obviously you're, you'd be hesitant to give up any real assets to, to get a guy like that. But he's certainly shown that he's healthy and, and uh, can still score in bunches and has really been a big help to the Blues this season. And would be a big help to the Islanders. I think, you know, the decision they made to leave Jordan Everly unprotected in the in the expansion draft and have him go, a guy who maybe hadn't performed up to expectation after he came here from Edmonton, but uh, you know, I think maybe the Islanders underestimated uh, his value to Matthew Barzal and just kind of rounding out that top line with Anders Lee on the other side. Um, you know, kind of the the trade off they made was letting Everly go and signing Kyle Palmieri. Palmieri just doesn't seem to be a fit with Barzal. He's much more of a bull in a china shop type of guy who scores some greasy goals. He's only got one goal so far this season. He, he's healthy now and he hasn't been able to get back into the lineup, which, as I said, they're not, a, they're not an offensive dynamo. So if you've got your $5 million a year right wing with one goal and he can't crack a lineup that they've got where they're only scoring two or three a night, that's a problem. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think the chemistry thing with Barzal, you know, is a big deal. Um, and I, and I wonder about what they'd be considering either through the end of this season or into the summer about trying to rectify that. And, you know, and it could even go as far as if they move enough money around, maybe they bring Everly back Seattle, you know, who knows what sure that enough. situation is like um, that you kind of write a wrong there and, and figure out it's going to cost them something obviously. But so, you know, Tarasenko is certainly a guy that could help. Um, you know, there's going to be some some guys that maybe hit free agency, Philip Forsberg, you know, they might have some options, but I think to my mind with their limited cap space and the way that they're built, which is from from the goal and from their own zone on out, uh, I don't know that they're going to want to address offensive deficiencies before they address defensive deficiencies. So um, it's going to be interesting to see if they don't make a, a chicken type trade before the trade deadline. When they go into the offseason where where Lamarillo decides to to kind of plug the holes if it continues the way it's been continuing. No, definitely. Well, before we shift focus to the New York Rangers, there's a little bit of a a back and forth that's going on online right now. Uh, it was the video between uh, Leon Dreisaitl and Matheson. <laughs> uh, they're talking. It got a little bit uh, chippy to no, say. No, it, 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 it got a way. little bit pissy. It, yes, yeah, exactly. I want to ask you, I just want to get your opinion on it. I don't want to throw anybody under the bus. But for you, in that situation, you look at the player. Obviously, you know, everyone on Edmonton's frustrated. You look at Connor McDavid. You look at Leon Dreisel. It doesn't matter. No one's really happy there right now with the way things are going. Everybody thought it was going to be a great season. You know, they started off well, et cetera, et cetera. Do you think the way the question was posed to Leon Dreisel was the best, given the way the team is set up right now? Or... Was it posed the right way because it drew a response that has everybody talking not only about the Oilers, but about everything in general around Leon Dreisaitl and the way we handle things and, you know, are we too sensitive and so forth. I wonder for you, would that be something, A, you would do, and B, what do you think of the whole situation? Yeah, I, I mean, I have a lot of thoughts, and I don't know how well I can compose them because they get they get pretty deep in the in the in the inside baseball part of being a, uh, a hockey writer, which I've done for you know twenty years now, and and I think the main thing that that maybe people who don't do this for a living, uh, the only thing that I would say that people need to understand is that doing this job over Zoom or always in a press conference setting 
takes away any nuance or any context of any situation like that. Like Jim Matheson has been doing this job since I was in grade school. And, uh, you know, he's in the Hall of Fame for a reason. He's been a great reporter. He covered some amazing teams out there. He's got good relationships with people. And I'm sure if the locker rooms were open, that's not a that's not a conversation that happens out in public in front of the cameras and everybody. You know, I, yeah. I, I don't know what kind of guy Leon Dreisaitl is. I've never really dealt with him. I've heard he can be a little bit prickly, a little bit short. There's definitely guys that I've had experiences with in the last couple of years who are great to talk to sitting next to them in a locker room or standing one-on-one in a locker room who can't, who look like they've got ants in their pants when they're sitting on a zoom, they just can't do it. And they, and they shut down or they get a little bit short with people. And it may seem like, Oh, this guy's, this guy, he's pissed at all the writers. It's like, Nope, he just hates zoom. Like a lot of us do. So um, you know, I think that's the place you need to start. Um, you know, like I said, maddie has been doing it a long time. He and dry settle have been together a long time. That's a situation where I'm sure for both of them, you'd rather have that conversation, even if it's a fight in private, I've had plenty of dust ups with, with guys that I've covered with coaches, whoever, uh, over my many years and the ability to be able to go face to face and shake hands and apologize and say, let's just let it go. We got to be around each other. Um, you know, the, when you can do that uh, in a non-pandemic time, it, it really shortens the lifespan of these kind of things. And, uh, you know, I think for me personally, if I'm in that situation, you know, I, I tend towards not pushing too much uh, in a press conference setting. I'm, I'd much prefer, uh, especially with a guy I have a relationship with, I'm not looking to, to stir things up with anybody. Um, you know, this could be this could be something that's been brewing for a long time between the two of them. Who knows? And, uh, you know, I think the context part of it really matters just because who knows what the questions were before that, whether dry settle answered them. My also my general feeling is, too, even though he's a superstar, he doesn't he doesn't need to be a guy that that comes up with, you know, great four sentence answers Mm -hmm. with deep insight. Some people just aren't built that way to answer those kinds of questions or certainly not in a press conference setting. So, you know, once you know that you've got a guy who's not great in that setting. You, you ask your questions, they give you a couple sentences and you're done. And, and yeah. to me, there's no need to push it because we're all going to be there day after day after day. And it's easy to get sick of one another. And and certainly when you're looking at a, been looking at a screen for two years or, or sitting in a press conference, 20 other people were used to being operating in kind of a one-on-one environment, face-to-face, um, more nuance, being able to explain yourself a little bit better rather than having a mic in your hands. There's a lot that goes into it. Like I said, I feel like I've touched on about 15 different possible topics. But um, <laughs> generally speaking, uh, you know, you know, I, I think it's the way to me. It's like the way I treat my kids. If you don't embarrass me, I won't embarrass you in public. And that's kind of the 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 feeling I have that I bring to work is that as long as we're all as we're all respecting one another, uh, you don't have to give me the greatest answers. But I ask the questions, you answer. If it gets more than that, then I hope we can have a, a private conversation and sort it out. So that that kind of brings me to my argument because, and I'm sure none of us know the answer to this. Why did all of us like? I'm I'm watching this clip, and, and my buddy sent it to me, and he goes, "Watch this. You're gonna halfway through, you're just gonna start laughing." I'm like, "Okay, it's a Leon Dreisaitl press conference. Why will I start laughing?" <laughs> so he sent it to me, and then when you know when uh, when Jim goes, "Why are you getting so pissy?" I just started laughing, and my immediate thought was, "Why did he say that?" in a public (laughs) press conference this guy is a hall of fame reporter could he not have afterwards i'm sure he has edmonton's pr contact been like hey can you just like get me in contact with uh with leon i just want to apologize or figure it out it just seemed really weird and something that has been building for a while um i know his i i saw the ones with i think he did one with nurse and one with I forget the other player where he kind of asked a, a, a similar questioning and those players shut him down too. So maybe he was frustrated. Um, I just thought it was really weird. And like the NHL, they're getting the NBA drama today. Cause I'm sure everybody saw what happened <laughs> with Brad Marchand before the, uh, before the Bruins hurricanes game, which is currently five, one hurricanes after the first period. So um yeah, just an entertaining day overall in media. I'm sure we'll never get a clear answer as to what the heck happened here, but that was uh that, that that was fun to see. And at the end of the day, they're both big boys. I'm sure they'll get over it when they wake up tomorrow morning. That's yeah, that's the other thought too. 
Yeah, that's the other part is, you know, like I said, Manny's been doing it a long time. You do the same job for a long time, day in, day out. Who knows what you're bringing to the table that day, whether you're the reporter or the player yeah. or whoever. You don't want to be in that situation, but I feel like there's probably been times where I've been, you know, stuck inside with my kids for a few months trying to keep them entertained. And if somebody said, you got to be on a Zoom now and ask some questions, boy, I, I'd probably have blown up too if somebody gave me a bad answer. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah. Hopefully everybody just calms down and, and understands the situation that the player is upset because his team is, like you said, not not performing at all. The reporter is a guy that's used to getting good answers from people and being able to kind of work through the, the you know, the build the relationships to be able to get those kind of answers. And you can't do it now. So there's frustration everywhere. And it's 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 just a, a shitty situation, basically. And. And it comes to a head and I'm, you know, everybody has their fun on, on Twitter and, and gives their two cents and by tomorrow it'll, we'll be on to something else. So maybe that's the best thing for it. Well, I don't know about you guys, but when you have a bad day at work, the last thing you want to do is really have a long diatribe with anyone. You really just want <laughs> yeah. to off and get it done. So, and if somebody asks you something off kilter, you're just like, no, you pretty much snap, like you said. So, We've all had those days. You know what? You come to the office. It's not a great day. It is what it is. You move forward. Um, but, hey, it's good to see a little personality, a little snapback, you know, other than the uh, cookie-cutter answers. Because, like you said, Zoom does give everyone the ability to kind of just shut it down and keep it pretty short. Because you Is don't that why we switched to StreamYard? That's why we did StreamYard. Because now we're in the yard. We can talk and do more different things. Um, but now let's, let's move on. Obviously, we talk about the Leafs, the Islanders. I want to talk about the Rangers, a team that went and sent out a letter to their fans, let them know they were rebuilding, seemed to expedite the process. Oh, hi, Adam Fox. Hi, Artemi Pernarin. Um, hey, the goalie factory behind uh, Hendrik Lundqvist, who knew? Shesterkin, Gorgiev, you name it. These guys are doing well, and now they're, what, I think they're still tops of their division as of right now. I'm not 100% sure. Go check. But what has happened with the New York Rangers to take them to that level where everybody thought they were still just kind of coming along, had some good pieces, had Adam Fox, Panarin, Shesterkin was coming along until Jeff Merrick ruined his year last year, um, <laughs> which is true. He came out and said hey, he's going to win the Vesna, and we he all did. know what happened there. So, And look at Carter Hart this year, just putting it out there. Stop naming goaltenders, Merrick. Um, <laughs> but you look at the uh, the New York Rangers. No one expected them to be – where they are right now. Maybe they themselves they did, but guys like Kreider taking huge steps. For you now covering that team, what have you seen this season and what are they bringing to the table that maybe the average person who's checking in on them every once in a while doesn't get to see? You know, I, I think people kind of underestimated the amount of change that they under that they went through at the end of last season. You know, obviously the Panarin, Tom Wilson situation seemed to precipitate uh, some big changes, you know, Jim Dolan, who's been, you know, the, the garden chairman, who's, who's always been very involved with the Knicks, but a little bit more hands off with the Rangers got pretty involved, fired John Davidson, fired Jeff Gordon, hired Chris Drury to, to fill both those roles, a uh, first time GM. And clearly the mandate was get tougher and get in the playoffs. And, and we're going to stop kind of messing around with this, like missing the playoffs, but, but still promise, you know, still piling up good young players, um, you know, and, and Drury went in a very distinct direction with his offseason, traded Pavel Buchnevich, which wasn't a very popular move with the fans, brought in Sammy Blay, uh, you know, as just kind of a, a, an asset to, to bring back the other way. He had a pretty good season going as kind of a, you know, a utility top nine guy until he tore his ACL back in November, um, brought in Ryan Reeves. And the big ticket guy was Barkley Goodrow coming off of two Stanley Cups, yes. a six-year deal, 3.6 per, a big nut for a guy who only scored eight goals, I think, as a career high in, you know, in seven or eight seasons in San Jose and Tampa. But both those guys, Goodrow and Reeves, kind of, you know, the, the, the classic high character, good in the room guys. And I think the maturity level is the thing that, that people talk about on the team the most, that it's come up a lot since last year. They're, they're not. They don't sag when they get pushed around a little bit because they've got some guys that can push back. They don't sag when they give up a goal. You know, they've got, they know they've got Shesterkin playing at, a, at an incredibly high level. Their D is a little bit more mature, even though it's a very young group. Um, and they've got three or four guys that can, that can hurt you up front. You know, when you've got 
a top six that's got Kreider and, and Zibanejad on the first line and Stroman Panarin on the second line. They've always had the ability to hurt you since since Panarin came here these last couple of years, um, but they haven't had the ability to follow that up with with a third line that's going to come in and crash and bang and, and get some possession if they can. And then a fourth line with a guy like Reeves, who's going to talk and, and hit and, you know, do a little bit more than you always think. He's a guy you just, you know, who, who seems like he's one dimensional, but has a little bit more to his game. And then you've got some, you know, some fill in guys up front, guys like Kevin Rooney, who's had a pretty good year uh, as a fourth liner. They've got, Julian Gauthier, who seemed like a career AHLer, has had some value. Dryden Hunt, same situation, a guy who's bounced around a little bit their lineup. And you've got Alexis Lafreniere, who has been mostly a third-line guy, which you wouldn't have thought for a number one overall pick. You know, this is you'd think he'd be out there playing like Jack Hughes 20 minutes a night and, and being a, a surefire top six guy. And I think that's where Gerard Gallant comes in. He's a guy who um, – has the ability to, to, to bring a message to his team where he's, he's a very intense, fiery guy, but it's very outwardly focused when it's inwardly focused. He's, he's very, you know, he's a guy that's considered a player's coach. He wants the best for his guys and Lafreniere maybe isn't in the ideal situation being on the third line most of the season, but I think he's trying to kind of build, build a complete player up as opposed to just letting a guy go wild. You know, I think, um, you know, covering the Islanders for so long and hearing from Barry Trotz, who's always got lots of coaching wisdom. He did very much the same thing with Matthew Barzal, where he's coming off a Calder trophy, but an Islander team that was a disaster uh, as a, you know, as a, as a complete team, his first year Trotz came in Barzal's number, you know, production went way down, but I think the completeness of his game has gone up and the success that they've had has gone up. You know, Barzal is a 15 draft guy, uh, McDavid, yeah, Eichel, you know, he's comparing himself to these like generational players who have had no success at all in the playoffs. And I'm sure Matthew Barzal looks back now and says, well, I take 15 or 20 fewer points in the regular season as long as we can get to game seven of the conference final. Um, yeah. And I think I think Gallant and his staff and Drury and his staff look at the Rangers situation and say, we want Lafreniere to be that kind of player. He's got a he's a big body. He's a very skilled winger. But is he ready to be a 25 goal, 30 goal scorer that we put out there 20 minutes a night? Probably not. So I think that they're looking for a more complete team and and there have been stretches when they've gotten it. You know, I think some of their metrics are are, are kind of uh, telling that that they really relied heavily on Shesterkin and heavily on their power play and their penalty kill to be successful this year. And they've also just been eating up points against the, the bottom feeders. And then, you know, it's going to come back at some point. Obviously, the Leafs are not a bottom feeder. Then they go to Carolina two days later. So this this week is going to be a real test for them. Uh, and they've been about, a you know, a little bit less than a 500 team against some of the, the more elite teams in the league. But points are points. And you just got to get in. And after after basically five years out, throw out that sweep that they had at the hands of Carolina in the bubble, which really wasn't even a playoff series, that, that kind of play-in round or whatever you call it. Um, yeah. this is a team that's been missing in action from the playoffs from all the success they had in the 2010s. Uh, they want to get back there. There's still a couple guys left from that last playoff series they had. And, uh, and the fans certainly want to be able to see some playoff games and see this team return to kind of the, you know, they didn't win at all, but they certainly got close enough year after year with Lundquist, Henrik Lundqvist and some of those guys that were very defense oriented. So I think that's kind of the, the model that they're looking at. Um, whether they can stand up to the Carolinas or the Toronto's or the Florida's of the world, that remains to be seen. That's still, a, you know, still a, a process, but I think the, the maturity level of this group has, has taken a big step forward and it's resulted in being them being where they are right now. Well, you talk about the goaltending for the New York Rangers and that's a problem for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, they've been just shirking so many times or Gorgia for that matter. Both of them really step up to the plate when it's the Toronto Maple Leafs and shut them down. Um, that is the big scary factor for me. The Leafs will be without Jake Muzzin coming into MSG, but when you're facing Shesterkin, for whatever reason, he puts on a clinic against the Leafs. Uh, they can't beat him, and I think I don't care what anybody says. I get between your ears, and if you're a goal scorer like Austin Matthews or Johnny T or even Mitch Marner when he's ripping off shots like he did the other night there, um, it really gets between your ears, and it's a problem. I think they really need to get in Shesterkin's kitchen Really make it messy. Get a couple banging goals. Get a Spezza type in the tip, whatever it needs to be, to beat him a couple times to get that feeling. Because I think once he gets in a rhythm against the Leafs, you can see the Leafs kind of shrink back, and it's like we're not going to beat this guy. And then the Rangers go feed off of it. 
Um, I wonder, do you see the same kind of thing when the Leafs go in to MSG? If they're able to get a couple, like you talked about against the Islanders, they're okay. But as soon as the shot tally starts to build up and the goaltender is in a rhythm and it's just jerking in net, it's not happening. Or for that matter, a rookie goaltender that comes out of nowhere, like against the Arizona Coyotes, <laughs> they can run up as many shots as they want. They're just not scoring. I don't even remember that guy's name. <laughs> Me neither, but <laughs> I, see, I should say that much. Like no disrespect, but that like it was yeah. an outstanding goaltender performance. But if if you give me a multiple cho- multiple choice question, there's a seventy five percent chance I'm getting it wrong because I genuinely <laughs> do not know. Shesterkin is, I mean, he's done that to a lot of teams this year. I think that's you know, it, it's not even a, a case of don't let this guy get in the rhythm. He's just he is. You know, it, it it does seem like right now you look at kind of the goalie metrics and it's it's Shesterkin one, Campbell's right in there two or three. Um, you know, I, I really feel like it, it is amazing. You know, I, I'm sure that there's some fans out there, whether it's Philly or Edmonton, who look at the Rangers who have basically had, you know, three decades of uninterrupted, incredible goaltending from Mike Richter with a couple of years in between, you know, maybe one or two, but down years right before the lockout to Lundquist and now to this guy. Um, and not Lundquist exactly like... Embarrassment of riches. And not and not exactly like not exactly first round picks either. Not guys that were that were highly touted. They've, you know, it's a huge credit to their scouting staff, especially the European scouting staff. You know, Nick Bobrov, who's no longer with the team, was the guy that that really discovered Shesterkin and pushed them to draft him. Benny Allaire, who was you know Lundqvist guru for so long, is is the guy that's still been there now, going on twenty years. Um, it's a real credit to to them that to you know you don't associate certain organizations with that kind of situation any so much anymore, but the Rangers really, um, you know, finding these guys and, and developing them and putting them in a situation to succeed is, uh, is impressive. And, uh, and just the way that he's played this year, um, it's not super flashy. It's not acrobatics. It's not anything. He's just a very, very technically sound, very, uh, skillful goalie. He doesn't, he doesn't beat himself really. You don't, you know, I, I can, I'm sure that, low danger goals for him. It's maybe been one or two this entire year. And, you know, he, on the penalty kill, he's, he's up around nine fifty save percentage on the penalty kill. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty ridiculous numbers. Uh, you know, I think early in the year, he was really stealing a lot more games where, where teams were peppering him with, with, with shots and chances. And, you know, that overtime win that the Rangers had up in Toronto, I think was kind of the apex of that where, you know, not only, you know, diving out of his crease to make a, you know, and then diving back in to stop a play. It's, um, you know, he's, I, I guess he's got a little hot check in him when he needs it, but for the most part, he's, uh, he's very much in control. And I think that helps with their defensive zone because that's really been the place they've been, they've been struggling a lot over the last couple of years is coverages. <clears throat> I don't, I don't I'm just not sure that the message was, was right for them when David Quinn was the coach. And now with Gallant, little bit simpler like I said a little bit more mature you've obviously got Adam Fox who's you know a Norris Trophy candidate again this year yeah but you've got you've got Jacob Truba who seems a lot more comfortable and a lot more physical now in the defensive zone Keandre Miller is a year older yes. uh, he's still only 21 and he's such a, an incredibly raw skilled guy that uh, you know is the mental side of his game is rounding into form and they just called up another young guy in Braden Schneider, who's probably going to play tomorrow. Who's kind of manning that right side on the third pair. Um, you know, this is where the assets that they've built up and they've yeah. built up. You want to have these options to be able to plug in when things don't look so good. And you know, and I see you guys kind of shaking your heads because the Leafs don't really have that. They no. have to go out and kind of find guys to fill in the margins. Well, this is the luxury of of why, when the Rangers get off to this kind of start. You have a little bit of a cushion to work in a Braden Schneider, to work in a Nils Lundqvist, to let Keandre Miller work through his mistakes because you've got this all-world goalie behind him and you've got all-world scorers that can make up for some deficiencies and you've got a huge cushion, uh, you know, 10 or 12 points between them and the playoff cut line. So um, there's a lot going in the Rangers' favor right now this season and I think that confidence also spills over, not just from Shesterkin making great saves, but their ability to, to, to stay calm and be calm in any situation because they know that they can work through it. Well, let's ask you the, the million dollar question from the outside looking in for the Toronto Maple <clears throat> We are all still hanging on the fact that this team has not got past the first round. I've beat the drum a little bit different this year, Arthur, by saying this team does look different. 
Uh, the buy-in is different for certain things. You got guys that are willing to block shots like Andre Kasha, Michael Bunting. Uh, you go down the list. David Camp is a great third-line defensive center, something they haven't had. They have guys that are understanding certain roles on this team, like the Spetses. Simmons kind of settled into what he needs to be. Um, the defense still isn't 100% there. Jack Campbell is exactly what everybody said he was going to be. But from the outside looking in, do you see a difference in this team this year than what was last year and the year before where they've had great regular season success, but they just haven't put it together in the playoffs? I say this team will do better, but, I mean, I got the, the honeymoon glasses on with all these <laughs> great players that have come in. Michael Bunting doing well on the first line. You know, you get excited for your team. Am I wrong to be excited about this iteration of the Toronto Maple I mean, they're they're an exciting team, and, they, and I think that the the credit to Kyle Dubas in, in being able to you know he, such a limited amount of cap space and a limited asset pool that they have of their own to be able to go out and find the Kashas and the Buntings, you know, on the cheap guys that are that can bring good value. Whether it's their analytics department that's driving it, whether it's their scouting department that's driving it, I'm sure it's a combination of both. Um, you know, to find the the Mikheyevs of the world. I know that the guy, he's a guy that's been injured a lot, but certainly produces when he's in there. Um, that's impressive. And the Campbell situation, I think, is is if they are able to win a round or two, it's going to be mostly because they have some better goaltending than they've had. No disrespect to Freddie Anderson, but just, you know, the, the fact that that their best players have very clearly taken a step back in the playoffs each of these last few years and Maybe Matthews hasn't. Maybe Tavares hasn't at all times because his assignment has been a little different when they play the Bruins. But you know the the margin, the guys on the margins can only take you so far. You need your be- uh, the the old cliche of your best guys got to be your best guys. And I think you know with Campbell in there, maybe that gives them a boost because he's been so consistently good. And now we're back to at least playing a fuller season. You know, quote unquote, a little bit more normal than it's been. Maybe that helps kind of you know, you got a longer runway going to the playoffs. It's not quite as condensed and then you're right in into it or you're not in the bubble the way that we were a couple of years ago. So <clears throat> that situation maybe helps them a little bit. And certainly uh, like, you know, the, 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 between the years part, it would certainly help to see somebody other than the Bruins in the first round, even oh, if it's, God. even if it's a Florida, a, a Florida team that seems to be unstoppable right now or or the two-time defending Stanley Cup champs, I think just being able to look and see some different jerseys the minute you start the playoffs uh, is a big is a big would be a big plus for them. And um, you know, but you know, ultimately, I think it's hard to judge right now. They're a very good team, but I think it you know the, the rubber hits the road in the playoffs, and that's when you got to have you know this is probably a make or break year for for them in terms of their entire organization about keeping the core together. Uh, you know, Mitch Marner's got to have a good playoff. Austin yeah. Matthews has, has got to take his game up a notch if that's possible because he's such a good player. Tavares, you know, he'll, he may get heavier assignments, but he's still got to carry the load at both ends of the ice. Um, you know, and Campbell's got to be really good and and not give, you know, you can't have any leaky goals in any, in any of those first-round games because it can turn pretty quickly, as they've obviously seen before, you know, time and time again. So um, I do wonder if 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 – the bad thing happens that has happened the last few years, whether we're looking at wholesale changes, whether it's going to be a new front office or a new coaching staff or both. Um, so maybe the urgency is there too from, from the top down to say, we can't do this again and then run, try to run it back and, and, you know, fill out the hundred piece puzzle with some guys making under a million again yeah. um, and, and run it back with the same core. So, you know, maybe that sense of urgency has, has gotten in and, and, and you want to see, like I was talking about with the Rangers, like I think we've seen with the Islanders since Tavares left, it's it's a maturity. It's an ability to to not get not get rattled by whatever happens. We live in a in a pretty strange world these days. So who knows what's going to be happening in May when the playoffs start? Um, you got to be prepared for anything. And I think that's going to be the the real test of that group up there as as far as their maturity, whether they're worth keeping together. Uh, and whether a guy like Mitch Marner is, a, you know, is a money player, that's that's when you got to bring it. And, uh, you know, if it's Tampa, it's going to be tough. You know, that the yeah. team that knows how to win, no matter what the situation is, uh, if it's Boston or if it's Florida, you know, if it's Boston again, you got to learn how to how to finally get past those guys that they know how to beat you. 
And if it's Florida, it could be a situation where they're, it, you know, it's a 115 point team that's just been steamrolling everybody. So every situation is going to bring its challenges. And I think, uh, I think it's going to be a real test. I know from the outside, we all say, gee, it'd be really interesting to see. And that's not what at least fans want to hear. They don't want to hear interesting. They want to hear, are we going to finally win this thing? Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be fascinating to watch, you know, when they're, when they're on and they're the center of the hockey world, uh, whether it's people are loving to watch them or hate watching them, it, it makes for great theater. So I, I'm eager to see how they do when May comes around. I don't like any of those matchups because all the narratives <laughs> suck. Like you, you, you play Tampa. Well, oh, there's you're not playing... many other options right now. You I, think the I know. Like, can we, like, I want to somehow play a Metro team. Like, <laughs> but then like, I guess you look that at, could happen. I, it I guess it you could. could. You could. You could. You could win the division and then get the that last spot. But that yeah, seems but unlikely like, the way that. I'm looking at all the options here. I look at Tampa go two time defending cup champs. Can the Leafs overcome that Florida? I'll save that one for last. because That's my favorite one. Boston. You're going against the team. That's just owned you for the last decade. And they look at Florida and you got the two longest playoff winning droughts in NHL in the NHL. Currently <laughs> the Leafs are obviously going to lose that one. Like if they play Florida in the first round, I'm betting the house on Florida because the Leafs just, the Leafs are cursed, man. If they lose in the first round this year, I would be fully on the boat of moving them down the road to the, first Ontario center in Hamilton for one year just to break the curse like it's my therapist is going to make a lot of money if they lose in the first round this year so yeah, I, don't mean to, I, I don't mean to laugh but it's, no it's, it's it, it, at this point it's just funny like I, I I remember watching game seven with my with my wife and she goes and the game ended I just turned off the tv and she goes what's up I said what do you want to watch <laughs> yeah right like it's no, just, well at that point it was just so heartbreaking I mean yeah. Last year, it wasn't a gift, but at the same time, it was their best chance to to go yeah. on a run and do something with the with the team they had. And it just it didn't happen. John Tavares getting hurt obviously didn't help, but I mean, you need to overcome things in the playoffs. It's the playoffs for a reason. It's a long gr- grind, right? So you need the next up mentality. But the Leafs need to have that this year. That's why I'm excited for this team because they seem to have enough pieces in place to be able to do some of those things. I think they need one more guy. Braden McNabb on the back end. And if they add a guy like that, some sandpaper, some minute eating, I think they might be all right. But Arthur, I want to thank you very much for taking the time tonight, sitting down with us, talking with the Islers, the Rangers and the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, hopefully get you back on towards the playoffs. Hopefully the Isles are in the mix and the Rangers are still atop their division and we have something fun to talk about. Cool. Thanks guys. I really appreciate it. Appreciate no, it. Arthur. Thank you for your time. All right, everybody, this is Offside Hockey Talk, where hockey comes to talk. 